Look at somebody and say, it's good to see you. Now look back at them and say, it's good to see me too, all right? Hey, we're so glad that you're here. My name's Sam. I have the great privilege of being the lead pastor here at Crossroads Church. And what that means is every single week I try to tell the greatest story ever told. Now, not because I'm some great communicator or it's even my story, but I believe this story is a story about Jesus. And Jesus is the greatest person to ever walk the face of the planet. I actually believe he's more than just a person. I believe he's God in the flesh. And so if you've ever asked the question, what is God like? You don't have to look any further than the person of Jesus. And we believe the Bible is this story about Jesus. We say this around here. We say it's all about Jesus. We wrote it on the wall if you need some help. And uh, what that means is you're going to need a Bible to follow along. And if you forgot your Bible, we got you covered. You can just slip up your hand and one of our ushers will get one to you. And then if you don't have a Bible, that's our gift to you. We pray that you read it every single day because every time you do, you get to meet with Jesus. Amen. <clears throat> hey, we've been in this uh, series in the Gospel of John, so I want you to turn in your Bible to the Gospel of John. If you're new to the Bible, you can start from the right and turn left, and you'll find it much faster. Or you can go two-thirds of the way through, you'll find some guys' names, Matt, Mark, Luke, and John. We're going to be in John chapter 14, once again this weekend. <clears throat> you're joining us online, we're so glad that you are doing so. I know many are out uh, sick, many are uh, doing their due diligence, and we're praying for you. We're glad you're joining us online. We're glad that you have um, the ability to, and I'm so thankful for all the team who helps put it together that people can uh, flex their schedules or whatever they need to do in the season they're in. I'm so thankful that you're gathering. The point is not where or even when, 1945 or at 5 in Lompoc or online, but the point is that you gather together and you center around the person of Jesus by reading his scriptures. Amen. And so uh, let's look at verse 8 of chapter 14. And what you'll find over the next few weeks is that we slow down quite a bit as we read big chunks or look at big stories. Uh, as I told you last week, the first part of John kind of looks at big periods of times over the, uh, the three and a half years of Jesus's ministry. And then this particular portion of scripture zooms in on the last week. And now we are in the last few days of the life and ministry of Jesus prior to his resurrection. And so they're in the upper room and uh, they're having the last supper, if you will. And so if you can picture that Jesus is saying these things around a dinner table, hanging out in a room together, and he begins to give all of these, uh, these final kind of teachings to his disciples. And that's where we are. And they're so densely packed. And so we slow down and we look at each individual one. What does it say to us? And some of the most important passages uh, ever written are the passages that we are in right now and will be for the next few weeks. They're imperative to help you understand the person of Jesus. So let's look at verse 8. It says, Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father and it is enough for us. That's right after he said, from now on, you do know him and have seen him. He's speaking of the Father. Philip says, Lord, show us the Father, and it is enough for us. Jesus said to him, Have I been with you so long, and you still do not know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, Show us the Father? Do you not believe that I 
am in the Father, and the Father is in me. The words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does his works. Believe me that I am in the Father, and the Father is in me. Or else believe on the account of the works themselves. Verse 12, truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do. And greater works than these will he do because I'm going to the Father. Verse 13, whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. We're going to have to deal with that. Let's pray. Jesus, we love you. We thank you for who you are and who you are to us. I ask for your grace today that you would help us more clearly understand your words that you've left for us. We pray that we not be distracted, that we would be open to your Holy Spirit correcting us, uh, stirring us, moving us, challenging us, all that we more and more look more like you, Jesus. And that would be for your glory and the good of this valley. And everyone said, Amen. How many of you know the Bible verse, the Lord works in mysterious ways? Can, can someone just yell out the reference for me real quick? Tell me what book of the Bible that's in. Go. Uh, Owens chapter 1. Uh, uh, God works. How many of you have heard that? God works in mysterious ways. Go ahead and just slip your hand up uh, uh, if you've heard that before. I know you've heard that before. All right, now here's the thing. How many of you in a moment, in some type of uh, moment where you're trying to maybe encourage yourself or encourage others or explain something that was quite unexplainable and you looked at someone and said those words, the Lord works in mysterious ways. Sometimes what happens is we, uh, we adopt theology or we adopt things that oftentimes the scriptures do not quite support them. And, and so here, here's, here's what this passage, I, I, I think, can help clear some things up for us. And, and what if I told you the Lord does not work in mysterious ways? The Lord does not work in mysterious ways ways. He does do things that you do not understand, or maybe you didn't see coming, because when Jesus is doing one thing, he's doing billions of things, and your perspective is limited, and you do not know everything. Someone say amen. That one, that, that was good for us. Let's just say that together. I don't know everything, right? What if you just started every argument with your spouse that way? Amen? Amen. I know that was harder for the ladies to admit on that one. Anyways, uh, don't and, uh, so if we just started with this idea that we don't know everything, and now here's what I would say. His ways are higher than whose ways? His thoughts are higher than whose thoughts? So his ways are not mysterious, but they're higher than yours. His thoughts are not mysterious, but they are higher than yours. Here's what Jesus is saying to Philip. 
Because sometimes, let's be honest, we can stare off into the cosmos and we can begin to ponder the thoughts of God. And we can begin to make God some ethereal being who cannot be grasped or understood. We can look at creation, we can look at, stand at the vastness of the Grand Canyon, we can look on a starry night, we can look at a majestic sunset on the Gaviota Coast. We are blessed, family, amen. And we can begin to ponder and pontificate oftentimes the ethereal, what we see, uh, what we sense is the ethereal nature of God. But God is not ethereal. In the beginning chapter of John, it says that in the beginning was the Logos, the Word. And the Word was with God and the Word was God. And then the Word became flesh. He took what we could not understand and he poured the entirety of the ocean into a single glass. That's what it means for God to become a man. In Philippians, Paul uses this word kenosis. It's this idea of of emptying himself. Or in other words, he put boundaries on what it meant to be God. Another translation would say he limited himself. Ultimately, so he could reveal himself. The vastness of who God is cannot be understood. And so God became a man. What? To reveal himself. To show us his ways. I mean, we, last week we read the chapter where, where uh, Thomas says, What way are you going? And Jesus says to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. So now I have to throw out this old adage that God works in mysterious ways because God has revealed his way through the person of Jesus. And that is good news. Someone say amen to that. That should be encouraging above all things that you can know God. You can look into the wonderful face of the person of Jesus. You can behold his goodness, his glory. You can see his ways. You can know his thoughts for you and about you. You can know his plans for you. You can know that they are good, even though at times troubling to you. Let me, let me say that again. That was pretty good preaching. Pastor Sam, uh, you can know his ways and that they are good for you, although they could be troubling for you. Someone say amen Amen. to that. So God actually expresses himself through the person of Jesus. I mean, this is John's intention in writing this book. In John 20, he writes the, the thesis of the book. He says, I write these things that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Messiah, the anointed one. Not only that, he's the son of God. And that by believing this, you may actually have life in his name. When someone says, I, I just feel like I don't have a life. Right when someone goes, man, I, I don't really have a, I don't really have a life. Like I don't, maybe they're talking about a social life, or I don't know what I'm doing with my life. When someone talks about living, uh, you just got to keep on living, man. Right? You know, when people talk about living, they're not just talking about the breath in their lungs and the heartbeat in their chest. They're talking about where they're going what they're doing, the purpose. When someone says, I don't feel like I have any purpose, I don't feel like I'm alive. And yet that's exactly what Jesus is trying to reveal 
to us and show us that in him there is purpose, in him there is life, in his ways, in his thoughts. This is what you'll truly discover is actual life. And people can be busy and they can have all the stuff in the world. They can, they can fill themselves with things and relationships and dramas and baby mamas. And anyways, uh, and, uh, and they can have all, and all those things can be good. Amen. All those things are good and can be for good. But then oftentimes the things that we think are good for us or good uh, to us or good for enjoyment actually are exchanged for what is actual good. And what actually brings purpose and life. And so you can observe people who have everything. And yet, let's be honest, at times it seems as though they have nothing. And so in this particular moment, Jesus is taking the ethereal nature of what it means to be alive what it means to have purpose, what it means to have direction to your life. And he actually takes all of those grandiose ideas that we kind of talk around and kind of understand at a coffee shop or at a dinner table, this idea of what it means to be alive, what it means to move forward, what it means to have purpose. And he sums it up and says, I am the way, the truth, and what it actually means to have life. And then, then he begins to say, if you've seen me, you've actually seen the Father. You've seen the creator of the universe. What, what is he saying? What he's saying is, is that you've seen the one who's designed you to work in the way he's designed you to work. It means he's created you and he's formed you and, and you're, you're fearfully and wonderfully made with intention and purpose. And yet let's be honest. There's sometimes we feel as though we're grinding gears and we're working against the very design that God has for us. You know what the Bible calls that? Sin. The Bible describes this idea of grinding the gears, missing the mark, being off kilter, out of plumb line, being uh, uh, off centered, to be out of line is to what it means to be in sin. Now, John's going to write in another book, he's going to say, if anyone says they're without sin, anybody here want to say that? <sighs> right? He says, if anyone wants to say they were without sin, I call you a liar. His words, not mine, don't shoot the messenger, right? If you, if you say you're without sin, Sin. Now, here's what he means. If you say you don't have the ability to mess up, how many of you have the ability to mess up? Oh, yeah. now, let's try it. How many of you, how many of you, how many of you, well, we get the wave going? Like, how many, like we're going to start over here and we're going to move like, how many of you have the ability to mess up? Wow, yeah. Right? Like, we all have that ability to trip, stumble, and fall, the pastor included. Somebody say Amen right? Uh, the reality is, 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 is that we're all uh, a, a bunch of nobodies trying to tell everybody about somebody, because here's the beautiful thing about this book. This book is about everyone else getting it wrong and one person getting it right. Why? How? What's the purpose? See, this whole book 
is about God's plan for you, God's plan for us, God's plan for humanity, that we went off plumb, off kilter, our own way, and sin entered into our present reality. What does that mean? The thing that you want to do, that's not usually what you do. Somebody say amen to that. Man, I really wanted to act better than that. I really didn't want people like, man, why is the pastor getting in a fight in Solvang? And, uh, and it, it was like, because anyone could end up in a fight in Solvang. And, uh, and, and, and yeah, the thing that you want to do, that's not what you do. The thing that you hate, the things that you despise, the thing that you would look at a movie character and go, man, they ought not do that. You tend to do that from time to time. Somebody say, oh, no right? It just, it's a part of our present reality. And so then the Bible talks about that we need this new reality, or in other words, we need this new life, this new purpose, this new way of living that transcends us from our way into his ways. His ways are higher, see what we did that, than our ways. And here's the thing, it's not mysterious thanks dad anyways anyway. <laughs> everybody heard the southern accent you know where I was coming from right uh, his ways are above our ways higher than our ways not mysterious expressed through the person of Jesus See, Jesus is God in the flesh, and his life is the living expression of the will of God. Do you want to know what the will of God is? Jesus. You go, man, God's will is mysterious. No, he actually poured himself into a man that you may know the will of God. His name is Jesus. Hear that deep in your soul. You do not have to wonder. You do not have to fret. You do not have to have anxiety and fear. Jesus starts this entire monologue with saying this. He says, let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. I mean, it seems as though in moments of trouble, isn't it? Those moments of anxiety and fear, we tend to find ourselves going, I need to get outside. Man, I need to go for a drive, right? Like, you ever been in those moments? Man, I just need to see something beautiful. I need need to see something. Maybe it's something inside of you that the Bible says that in us we know. God has, has written the word of God on our hearts. And then Romans 1 will say that he's actually expressed his invisible nature through creation, that we would observe creation and know there is a God. And then we would find ourselves being pulled and tugged and wooed in the pursuit of God. So I find it very interesting and very spiritual that in times of trouble, we tend to go find a beautiful place in creation. I need to go walk through the woods. I need to go look at a sunset. I need to go to the beach. How many of you have ever been there? You've heard that. Psychiatrists and psychologists and counselors would, would maybe tell you the, the same thing. And they would think of it from a scientific perspective. And, and I want to give you a theological perspective because the whole earth is declaring the goodness and beauty and glory of God. And there's something when you look, if he's able to create that, then he's able to calm the chaos in my heart that should be good news for someone 
But here's what Jesus is saying. More than in an ethereal way, more than staring at the sunset, more than having church at the beach, more than trying to find your spiritual place or your walk with your guru. He's saying, no, 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 believe in God, believe also in me, the expressed living will, the way, the truth, and the life. You wanna know what life is about? Begin to ponder and look at the person of Jesus. You know what the will of God is for your life? Begin to wonder and ponder and behold more than a sunset. He's more beautiful than the Rockies. He's more, more, uh, more fantastic and magnificent than El Capitan. He is far more expansive than the Pacific Ocean. He is far beyond your wildest imagination. And he poured himself into a man that this one man in the middle of Galilee who never traveled more than 150 miles from his home with no Twitter and no Etsy account. Somehow he changed the known world and it is rippled throughout time and existence. And for thousands of years, his words like I am the way tend to pierce our hearts and cause people to gather around his word. And he said, man, that is what I want, the way, the truth, and the life. And it's interesting that the people even closest to him could not see that or perceive that. Philip looks at him and goes, what do you, what do you mean? Okay. All right. Great. Show, show us what's beyond you. He goes, no, 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 I took what was beyond you and I expressed myself and limited myself in the form of a man. Here's the problem. We're always looking for something beyond Jesus. It's like Jesus plus something else, right? Can I just tell you that Jesus plus anything is nothing at all. Jesus plus something is your made up version of Jesus, made in your own likeness and wants and desires. Jesus is everything in and of himself. I've heard this before, but uh, it's all about him and him alone. Yet there's something in us, even in our, our churches, that, that try to pull us beyond. And, and, and oftentimes it is because we've 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 confused his story and our story so the reality is and this is good news for you is that this whole thing is a story and it's not about you and that's fantastic news friends it's fantastic you could never hold the weight of it you could never handle the weight of the main character. You could never handle the eyes. You could never handle the judgment or the gaze. This is a story that is truly all about Jesus, but you have a part to play in it. But then what happens is, is we, we get fixated on our part or our lack or, or our, our role in the story, and we forget about this vastness and the beauty of who God is. And so what happens is, is we are thinking more about what God can do for us rather than asking the question, what has God made me for? And in order to do what? Because you just said a few minutes ago that to truly live is to be full of purpose and trajectory. You agree that when someone says, I have no life, what they mean is I have no 
purpose. I have no work. I have nothing to do with my hands. The thing that I have, man, it just isn't satisfying. You agreed that life is truly being about the business of the one who created you and designed you when you feel like you just fit. Ephesians says it this way. It says in Ephesians 2.10 that, that you've been handcrafted. You've been handcrafted in order to do good works prepared in advance for you. What that means is you're going to find yourself in places where you just fit. Aren't those great moments? Like when you have a southern accent and you get called to the San Inez Valley. It's amazing, right? Like I like that, right? It's the first time it was ever cool to be from Kentucky in California. I'm going to tell you. And, and yet... You'll just find places where you just fit. You're like, that's what I was supposed to be doing. This is made for me. And yet, let's be honest, it's those moments, if we're not careful, where we can get down in the dumps or we can go, hey, what is God working for me? What is he doing for me? And we'll actually take away from the very thing that we are looking for for desiring praying for asking god uh, man god i just need i want i wish rather than god use make mold change for your glory and the good of others cuz you agreed that you could have all the stuff all the uh, all the the wants and and the gets and the, and, and the I wish. And if you, even if you had all of that, it wouldn't necessarily bring purpose to you. It wouldn't actually bring life to you. It wouldn't actually put you on a trajectory. Actually, what it can do is actually get you stuck in a place. Because sometimes we become comfortable with all our stuff. We make shelves for it and we put it up and we admire it. And we, we, we cherish our things. We polish them and we, we put them up, not, not knowing someday rust and moth and garage sales are going to get the best of them in the end, right? And yet, see, this is what's happened with this passage. See, this is what you have to fundamentally start with when you read this passage. The expressed will of God is the person of Jesus. He is the living expression of the will of God and, be and belief in this truth believing that Jesus is the actual expression of the will of God. That you believe him when he says he is the way, the truth, and the life. The totality, the three-stranded three cord of the will of God is his way, his truth, and his life. What is the will of God? The person of Jesus. And when you believe this truth, that Jesus is the way to God, it reveals what life is truly about. And then it moves us to live and express this truth of his will through our lives. He is the expression of the will of God. And as we look at him, we see the will of God. When we believe this, we actually are at one with him. Then his life becomes our life. And when we live our lives in the way, the truth and the life to the world around us, we begin to express the will of God 
for others. So then people are not able to say the Lord works in mysterious ways. It seems as though the the Lord works through you in ways that you did not expect. Right? See, people begin to know the will of God when they see the will of God working through you. Now, to know that, to understand that, now begins to defunk some uh, uh, of the, the funk that is on this particular passage. Can I just tell you that this is a funky passage? We, we got away from it. Maybe, maybe you remember some of these things. Let's start with some, some of the funky stuff and see if we can get the smell off of it. You know what I mean? So, so that'll go better in second service. Uh, anyways, truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do. Okay, so you're going to want to underline that. You're going to want to deal with that. Uh, it, just so you know, you're going to be dealing with this particular passage in your small groups this week. And so uh, there are questions out on the booth. You want to pick those up on your way out. Uh, and, and, and you can see some of those. These are going to be important for us. And we're going to have to work through some of this because ultimately he says, whoever believes in me will do the works that I do. And then he goes on to say, and greater works than these will he do because I'm going to the Father. Here starts the funky stuff. And then he says, whatever, somebody say whatever. Whatever. You ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. Does that feel a little funky? Ever asked something in the name of Jesus and you didn't get it? Little funky, right? Uh, you ever been like, you know what? Greater works. You know, I'm going to try surfing without a surfboard. I'm just going to like step out on the on the boat and, uh, and go, Hey, he said it. Uh, if he said it, I believe it. Oh, right. Like, like I'm just some step out. It, it didn't work friend. You ever, you ever been there? Right. No of you. So then what does he mean? Right. What, what is he saying? Because let's be honest. I, I think there are a, a, a couple of things. I heard a pastor say it this way, that, that there's a little bit of angst or tension in dismissing either of these. In other words, what can happen when we pray, if we say, well, Jesus doesn't mean whatever, and he doesn't mean anything in his name, he doesn't mean anything. And so when you say that, man, that there feels like there's some kind of void there. Like maybe, maybe I'm wrong. I mean, that's what it says. And and then on the other side, you can you could step out and let's be honest there's this movement that has completely hijacked this thing the name it and claim it movement it's the great heist of the american church in particular when at night you're scrolling and you come across somebody who look like they lost a paintball gun war and they're telling you that if you just give that was a joke you'll get it later when the new Tammy Faye Baker movie comes out. Anyways, and, uh, and, and so... We, 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 
So you're scrolling and, and then someone says, I see you there. And you're like, how did, how did you see me here? And they're like, just touch the screen. And like, all right, you know, uh, and, uh, and, and they start saying, hey, if you say these words after me, and if you'll give this, you know, no one knows what I'm talking about. You all know exactly what I'm talking about. And, and, and yet we don't know how to deal with this. We don't know how to talk about it. Man, it's, it's maybe, maybe we feel like it's wrong to say something about some of this. Can I just tell you that men who do this are not gospel, good news, Jesus preachers. They are preaching something that is Jesus Plus, and that is nothing at all. They are not preaching the Jesus of the Bible. They are preaching that if you say the right things, do the right things, give the right amounts, that you can get all the right stuff. You'll be healthy and wealthy and all your relationships will work out. Let me ask you a question because here's important. Uh, did, did Jesus, uh, always have enough money to pay his bills? Yes or no? Okay. I don't know if that was a consensus across the room. Uh, but did Jesus always have enough money? No. Uh, At one time they had to go pay their taxes and they don't have any money. And so Jesus tells Peter to go fishing and he pulls out a fish and there's a coin in the mouth of the fish. (laughs) Man, I've never, I've been fishing with Joe several times. This never happened to us, right? Not once. And, and yet, Uh, the Bible says that the son of man did not even have a place to lay his head. So what about, did Jesus always have relationships that were always good? Remember, remember, remember that Judas guy? Remember that? Remember that was bad, right? That'd probably end up on Facebook or something, right? You know, it's not good, right? So here's the thing. If you're theology doesn't have room for Jesus, then it's bad theology. Oh, that was pretty good. Say amen to that. If your theology, what you believe about God does not have room for Jesus, it's bad theology. Why? Because what you believe about God has to be determined by Jesus because he says, me and the father, we are one. And if you've seen me, you've seen the father. And so what you believe about God should be solely what you believe about Jesus and nothing else. What you believe about Jesus. See the name it and claim it movement has has postured the church in such such a way that makes people think that if they say the right thing or do the right religious things that they can get the right stuff and stuff and things and an easement of life will somehow be life but you've already said in your own hearts that having all the stuff and all the right things doesn't mean that you'll be happy whole full of purpose and living life and yet the church has hijacked purpose from us purpose that sometimes comes through pain and suffering and yet the bible's full of the heroes of the faith going through trial and pain and suffering the half brother jesus say count it all joy when you face trial how many of you are doing that no right like i'm going through it yeah right 
Man, there's a story of the disciples getting their butts kicked and they come out and they begin to rejoice that they were counted worthy to take a beating for Jesus. Like, how many of you are signing up for that small group? None of you, right? Right? We got a fight club on Friday nights. <laughs> I know some of you might be into that. Uh, and yet... Let, let's, let's be honest, That's the, what's, what's happened is the church has had this purpose hijacked from us. Because you said, you can name it and you can claim it. You just say, I want that house and I want that car. And you don't need that house and you're going to wreck that car. And, and, and you don't need that in your life like a child. I want, I want, I want, I need, I need. And yet the father says, You'd have no idea what you actually need. You think you want prosperity, but actually the purpose you're looking for can only come through pain. Jesus is saying this on the night in which he is going to be betrayed on the night he's going to leave this upper room from talking to them and his friend who he looked across the table and said, what you're going to do, go and do quickly. Judas leaves and the plot thickens. And yet when they leave to go pray in the Garden of Gethsemane, I mean, what they're looking for is purpose, but none of them saw the pain coming. None of them saw the trial. None of them saw that, that this was so much bigger than their individual comforts. This is about God remodeling all of creation right in the middle of this one. This was about him sparking something new and there's gonna be sawdust everywhere. No one moved out and we're all living in a renovation of the kingdom of God that started when Christ died and rose again to give us this new life, this way that is above our way. This way that was above the sinful nature that takes us to the things we don't want to do and moves us towards what he's actually designed for us to do. See, so then what does it mean when he says, ask anything in my name? And what I've seen over the years with my, my kids, and if you've had kids, and I'm just kind of getting to this this place with, with my son is uh, that there are some things that he's learned not to ask me for. Right? Because you know what he knows the answer will be? No. Are you crazy? Like you lost your mind? Right? No. Like, and yet my two-year-old, when we sit down for dinner, she's like, I cut it. Give it to me. I cut it. Like, I, like, you want the knife? Like, no, you're not getting it. No, I cut it, right? Like, no, I want, like, freak, I want the knife. Like, I, I want to cut it. No, you're two, right? Like, you, you don't get the knife, right? Like, that's bad, right? Everyone knows that's bad, right? <laughs> and yet you're like two screaming, I want it. I want the knife. I want the thing that's going to hurt me. I want the thing that's going to cut me. Let me play with the dangerous thing. Give it to me. I want it. You said I could have it if I asked for it in your name. 
See, my, uh, my son took him golfing the other day out at the luxurious Saka Creek. It's fantastic. There's water in the creek. Uh, and what I realized when my, dad, when, when my son's out with me sometimes, like there's a, there's a way he begins to behave that I have to actually stop telling him what to do and he just begins to observe and kind of starts doing it. Where he, where he would put his bag or walk in the course and how, he would, how he'd put his tees in his pocket and where he'd put his bag at. And, and, and I, I just like started observing like, well, you just know what you're doing, don't you? Right? I didn't have to like, hey, stop, don't, quit. Right, but I have to do that in my house with all of them all the time. There's four of them, pray for your boy, right? And, and yet, see, I think sometimes in the church, we've kind of missed this nuance of us being children with our father. That there are seasons of our lives, especially as immature Christians, that constantly he's saying, stop, don't, quit, no. And then when you start walking with Jesus and you follow him around, what you'll do is you begin to imitate him. I mean, Paul said, be imitators of Christ. Watch, learn, observe. And then what you'll find is you'll begin to ask questions that you know he wants to say yes to. You'll begin to ask for things that aren't outside of his will. They're actually in the same way you were already going. See, it's not magic, but it is supernatural and powerful. So you go, well, Pastor Sam, I, you know, I've prayed for things, things that I think are in the will of God, like for healing. And sometimes I think we treat faith in the things of God like it's a game at Chuck E. Cheese, you know? I mean, we're over here trying to down that clown. Trying to make all the shots. Trying to, you know, and some of you are smart. You're just over there playing the slots. They're just conditioning people, you know. You're getting all the tickets. And you think, man, I read my Bible. Come to church. It's got it's to count, count for something, right? I mean, I hit the jackpot in this one area. Man, I did this good deed. I gave something. I did it. And, and then I got all these tickets. And then I want to go over. You know what happens, right? You go over and you're like looking at your tickets versus what you want. And you're like, man, I want to, I want to cash. I want to, God, I, I've done all this stuff. I've been playing the game. I've been doing what you ask, and I got all these tickets, and I'd really like to cash them in. Because let's be honest, cancer seems like a top shelf kind of prize. And I know this, this has been hijacked. This is how we've taught faith in the church, because anytime we pray for something, and maybe we did it in the name of Jesus, and we actually believed it was in his will, but when it didn't happen, you know the first thing you ask? Maybe I didn't have enough tickets. 
Maybe I didn't have enough faith. It's just true. It's how we interact. What if I told you it has less about what you have and it's more about who you see? The Bible says that faith takes as, as little as the size of a grain of a mustard seed. Man, mountains could be moved. I give this illustration before. I think it's the most potent one I can give. See, uh, if you were to get a room on the coast, you, they would ask you, do you want a partial ocean view or full ocean view? Man, you want the whole thing, right? But you know that there were people like Philip, like Thomas, who had a full ocean view, but still couldn't quite perceive the power of the ocean. And then there were other people in the stories that they could just smell salt in the air. There are stories in here of people, miraculous things would happen. They would say, if I could just touch the hem of his garment. If you just say the word, I know my servant will be healed, I'll go back. You don't even have to come. And yet, sometimes the people closest to him missed it. That could happen to any of us. So faith is less about what you have, and it's more about what you can see. Even Thomas at the resurrection said, unless I put my hand in his side and I touch it, he basically said, I'm not going to even believe that the water's wet until I put my feet in the ocean. And here's what God does. He works with all of us in those moments. There are people in the scriptures where he obliges. He goes, okay, then Thomas, touch here, touch here. He says, Philip, man, if you've seen the Father, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Look at me. Listen, friend, if you want to see the great works that God is doing here, begin to gaze on the person of Jesus and ask him the question, what is his will and his way? And then begin to work, knowing that you're just a kid going to work with your dad. You're just using a plastic hammer anyways. Know that he does the work and you get the joy that the son may be glorified. The father may be glorified in the son. Begin to work and do in such a way great works you will do and even greater works. What does he mean? What he means is that he limited himself to one person in Galilee traveling 150 miles away. But from that day on, after the resurrection of Jesus, he would send his spirit and his spirit would live in us and through us. The next week's passage, we're going to deal even more with that. That he would use the people and multiply his children. See, my kids are all going to have a little bit of their dad and hopefully a lot of their mom, you know. And they're, they're going to live lives and you're going to be able to look at them and, and know who their parents are. How many more is, his, is God's children? And how much more will he take your life and scatter it around the world? And he's been doing this for 2,000 years. How many great works that the church of Jesus Christ, how many miracles, how many things has God seen? It doesn't mean that you individually will see all, but you can observe that the world has changed because of the person of Jesus Christ. 
He overturned governments, threw down powers and authorities. What Rome was known for in the time of Jesus is not what Rome is known for today. Somehow, great works have been done through the church. See, friend, my prayer for you is that you would see that God's will for your life is that you would walk in everything he's called you to walk in. Every gift he's called you to. Man, there are some things that you're skilled at that no one else is skilled at. And what are you doing with it? And is it for the glory of God? What works are you doing? Are you working not unto men, but to the glory of God that people may see the expressed will of the Father through the lives of his children? And then ask your Father in the name of Jesus, not like it's magic, It's not like having a a notary stamp and just stamping everything you want. I'll take that. It's not like the scan gun at Target when you're going for a wedding shower. I'll take this one. I'll take that one. What you'll realize is God is with you. He's for you. And the great works he's calling you, you to, he'll use you for them. So ask. Walk with him. Ask him and then give him glory for the work that he's done in the good of your family, in the good of your community, the good of this coast. Will you pray with me? Gracious Heavenly Father, we love you and we thank you for who you are and who you are to us. We ask that you would help us see you more clearly every single day help us not to have our understanding of your will hijacked we can know your will the person of Jesus let not the give me give me give me name it and claim it movement hijack what true faith and the willingness to pray and ask for great things Don't let that be stolen from us. Let us believe you for great things as we walk with you in your will and in your way for your glory and the good of this valley. And everyone said, amen. Will you give Jesus one more hand clap of praise?